when I was growing up, I wanted to be an actor. That was my childhood dream. I fancied myself winning an Oscar. They don't give out Oscars for pastors. It's, it's a struggle for me. Um, it probably always will be. Uh, but that shiny Oscar, I really wanted that. I wanted to be in plays and movies. Uh, my first starring role was the spider in The Frog Prince. And then I graduated to a munchkin in The Wizard of Oz and a flying monkey. I was the only flying monkey with a line. Uh, I, was, I was quite excited about that. And then I, I hit a roadblock, which was I can't carry a tune. And in children's theater and in high school, you really need to be able to sing in order to get good parts in school shows. Um, and so because of God's grace in not giving me the ability to sing, I answered his call into ministry, which is kind of fun. Uh, what was it that you guys wanted to be when you were growing up? Ooh, silence. This is the audience participation part. Dave, what did you want to be? You wanted to be the guy who pumps the gas. You like to smell the gas. Okay. Not anymore. Okay. Uh, well, Oregon would be your, your place to be because they don't let uh, normal average citizens pump gas up there. You have to be trained or something. Steve, what did you want to be? CEO of Disney. Yeah, nice. I would like to be the CEO of Disney. That sounds fun. How about you? You wanted to be a veterinarian. I love it. Uh, so I asked my son recently what he wanted to be when he grew up, uh, grew up uh, grows up, and he said Spider-Man. Uh, but not just Spider-Man, he wanted to be a firefighting Spider-Man, uh, which is, I think, a really great career uh, path for him. Um, I'd love to see it. So this is him at his preschool um, Halloween costume parade uh, in October. And as I was putting together the slides, I found this one. Uh, apparently, Spider-Man's a common theme for him uh, because there he is two years earlier um, at just two dressed as Spider-Man. So, you know, maybe when he's 38, he'll continue to dress as Spider-Man. We'll see if that's a, a running theme. Um, but this question, right, like, what did you want to be when you grew up? It's something that we ask children all the time. And I think a lot of the time, the answers that we expect, maybe not, um, you know, selling gas uh, or um, might not be a common answer. The common answers we probably think of are maybe similar to my son's. Maybe they want to be a superhero or a firefighter, maybe not combined like my son. Uh, maybe they want to be a teacher or I think even a veterinarian. Like, these are common things that we hear um, or expect to hear kids say that they want to be when they grow up. But something's changing as technology evolves and we evolve. The answer that kids are giving is evolving. So who would have thought this? One third of kids surveyed recently said that they wanted to be a YouTuber. Do you guys know what a YouTuber is? Yeah, some of us are like, oh, what's a YouTube? So YouTube is a video sharing platform. It's owned by Google. Uh, and YouTubers are the content creators. They are the people who create these YouTube videos. And they have quite a following. Um, it's, uh, so, and this is, of course, where kids um, are actually getting a lot of their media consumption today. So it's less and less TV. It's more and more YouTube. And so this is what they aspire to. So one-third of kids want to be a YouTuber. Uh, One-fifth of them say that they want to be a blogger or a vlogger. One-fifth. Um, how many of you guys know what a vlogger even is? Okay, some of us. Uh, so a vlogger would be a... Uh, like a blogger. A blogger typically writes like little short-form articles. Um, I read a lot of bloggers on like Christian literature. A blogger just does the video version of that. I actually have a former student of mine who is a lifestyle vlogger. Her and her husband uh, renovated an RV, traveled across the country, and they have hundreds of thousands of people who follow them on YouTube. It's kind of fascinating. They've been featured in like People magazine. Uh, and so 
three-fourths of children today um, who were surveyed said that they would consider a career in like online video. Uh, just kind of fascinating. Like, who would have expected YouTube to be a dominant theme? Maybe young parents. Um, and I don't know. Like, I I'm, I'm, know that this is true, but it still surprises me. I recently had lunch with a college student of mine, a um, former student of mine, who was back in town. And he and I were sitting together, and I was kind of asking him what his, his life plans were um, as he was sitting at college. The thing that he told me that he was looking forward to doing was becoming a YouTuber. You know, it was just like so baffling to me. I was like, you're in college and you want to be a YouTuber? Like, that doesn't seem like those go together. Uh, but what he wanted to do was he wanted to study music and he wanted to transcribe popular music that's written for like pop. I don't know what you'd see on MTV or rock or something. And he wanted to transcribe it for the violin so that he was going to turn like popular music into violin. And I know because I've listened to them that there's there are groups that do that. There's the piano guys that just turn uh, popular music and they play it on piano. There are uh, the cellos, two cellos, and they do exactly that. And so he wants to do the violin version of it. And honestly, like, part of me wanted to dismiss him. Like, what? Are you crazy? Like, you're in college. Like, you got to have a better career than YouTubing, right? Well, this is what we discovered <laughs> as I was researching this. 55% of YouTube's revenue goes to creators. So when you look at YouTube out of the Google slice, 55% of what they make goes straight to creators. Uh, and in 2020, YouTube made about $20 billion. Uh, so that's bigger than the entire music industry. Um, YouTube is just unreal. And 10 billion of those dollars went to content creators who were maybe transcribing popular music for the violin. Uh, so, I don't know. How many of you would be excited if your kids came home and told you that they wanted to be a YouTuber? Okay. Yeah, no. I, I don't think I would be either. Um, I fear that they would starve to death, which is probably what my mother thought when I said I wanted to be an actor. Uh, but content creators are actually making some pretty good money. Like, Mr. Beast is making $39 million. Uh, he is uh, last year's number one YouTuber. Uh, he does insane, crazy things uh, with his content. Um, and a lot of it is like pranks, um, and some of it is just like silliness. Uh, he, I saw a, one of his YouTubes where he had his friends kind of competing in a like survivor-style challenge, and then they got to win a private island. Like, just totally crazy. And he's like 25. Uh, he is young, making $39 million a year. He's made more than twice the salary of the uh, Coca-Cola CEO. And Steve, uh, $32.5 million, that is Bob uh, Chapek. He is the CEO of Disney. Um, and he only made $32.5 million. So maybe you don't want to be the CEO of Disney. Maybe you want to be a YouTuber, is what we've learned. Now, Mr. Beast, adding to his accomplishments this year as the number one YouTuber... Uh, he surpassed last year's number one YouTuber, who is actually two years running. This is Ryan uh, Kaji, nine years old, made $30 million in 2021. $30 million as a nine-year-old. You want to know what he does? He does toy reviews. He reviews toys and makes $30 million. So my son will be on YouTube any minute now. Uh, it's pretty crazy. Now, these content creators on YouTube, they are influencing people to buy toys. 
right? Like a lot of YouTube is ultimately selling stuff. They're influencing people to pick up a violin. They're influencing people to do silly pranks and to get views. But they're also influencing a generation to follow them into an industry that would have been hard for my generation, uh, older generations than me, to even understand. When I told my family that I wanted to be an actor, some discouraged me, pointing out that most aspiring actors end up waiting tables. And I'll be honest, when this college student told me that he wanted to start a YouTube channel, I was tempted to dismiss him as well. Sometimes we can be pretty dismissive of the dreams of young people. Not just the dreams, but even the values and character of young people. Like, have you noticed the generational wars that seems to be going on? It seems to be fueled in part by social media. How many of you have heard the term, OK Boomer? Yeah, OK. So OK Boomer is a way of dismissing, like, the baby boomer generation. Well, I was on TikTok, which is a short-form video platform, the other day, and I left a comment, and somebody responded to me, OK Boomer. I'm a millennial. I'm not a boomer. I was deeply distressed by that. Um, and millennials tend to be in the middle of it because boomers, sorry, tend to think that anybody uh, who's like a young adult, like 22, 23, Lucas's age, um, are, are millennials. But they're not millennials. Like high school students are Gen Z, um, which how many of you have heard of Gen Z? Okay, some of us, yeah. So on one hand, I have Gen Z calling me a boomer, and then I have boomers calling me a millennial and like attributing things that are true about Gen Z to me. Like millennials now, we maybe have a mortgage, we have a family, we have a job, uh, but instead we're decried for doing nothing but eating avocado toast. And I don't even remember if I've ever had avocado toast, but it sounds delicious. Uh, and of course, this isn't anything new, right? Like, who knows who this is? This is a little bit before my time. Okay, who is this? It's Archie Bunker and... And Meathead, right? So Archie Bunker and his son-in-law, Meathead, uh, they had endless conflict, partly uh, from political differences, but also just from generational differences, uh, clearly of different generations. And, like you said, this isn't anything new. Uh, this is a book, The Young Against the Old, about First Clement. First Clement was written uh, in the first century, um, and it is... <laughs> um, we about the church in Corinth. So we're all the way back to ancient Rome, to biblical times. And what they've decided uh, through a lot of analysis is that First Clement was written uh, in response to generational conflict, as we do a close read of the text. So First uh, Clement is written as possibly as early as 70 AD, uh, and First Timothy is just five years before, 66 to 65 AD. So we see this generational conflict go all the way back to the text that we've been studying now since November. Uh, so what is Paul writing uh, to Timothy, where we've been? So Paul's writing to Timothy, who's a young pastor, uh, who he's encouraging to keep a Christ-centered godliness for the sake of the gospel. And he is warning against man-centered efforts in godliness. That's where we've been so far. So advocating Christ-centered godliness for the sake of the gospel, warning against man-centered efforts in godliness. So what he's doing is he's saying, your salvation, your grace, is attributed to you because of what Jesus has done, not because of what you've done. 
You don't need to be godly to earn God's love. There's nothing you can do that would cause God to love you any more than he already does. There's nothing you can do that would cause God to love you any less. But you are to be godly. So Paul calls this man-centered effort in godliness, he says that this is the teaching of demons. The teaching of demons. So on one hand, we're not to do it by our own power. We're to do it um, by the power of God. But we're also told to train yourself in godliness. And there is a a brilliant tension here. Uh, So we train ourselves in godliness. We're obedient. We're diligent in that work. But we don't do it to earn our salvation. We do it to appreciate, uh, to enjoy our salvation and the grace that we've received. Uh, So as we continue in this chapter, Paul's going to shift. He's going to shift from these core values to how Timothy is to live these out as a young pastor. So we're going to begin in verse 10. Um, Sorry, in verse 11. Uh, Paul writes, Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth. So here's that generational conflict we're talking about. How old do you guys think uh, Timothy is? Let me go grab water. How old is Timothy as Paul's writing to him? A young pastor. Oftentimes when I grew up hearing this, I thought he was like 22, right? Because people in biblical times, they only lived like 35. Unless you're like talking Noah, who lived a lot longer than that. Any guesses? Hmm? Early 20s. Yeah, that's another good guess. So it's looking like he's probably about 34 years old, which means this young pastor is just a little bit younger than me. I'm 38. 34 years old. Um, possibly um, all the way up to 40, based on the way that this phrase, uh, your youth, is used in Greek at the time. So I've been working in ministry for a while, and I kind of know the challenges of being a young leader, a young pastor. At my first church, the first church that I worked at, I was the youth director. And after a couple of years, I was in the courtyard after a church service, and I was being introduced by one of our elders to a church uh, visitor, And she introduced me as the kid who looks after the kids. Um, I was in my late 20s at the time, and I was bald. (laughs) Like, if you're bald, you're not a kid, is is kind of the way that I'm thinking of it. But it seems like sometimes in order to not be a kid, you have to, I don't know, like, meet these, like, barriers. Like, you have to maybe be married in Christian culture, or you have to uh, have a mortgage, which nobody's going to be able to do in Silicon Valley for much longer. Uh, So you have to, like, meet these things to, like, not be a kid. And my position didn't garner me any kind of respect. Um, My education, my accomplishments, I was just the kid who looked after the kids. A little demeaning. Um, And what do young leaders do in the face of this? As I was struggling with being dismissed as the kid who looks after the kids, one of the things that I did was I tried to dress for the parts that I wanted, like to dress for the job you want. How many of you have heard that life advice? right? Like, dress for the job you want. So I went from wearing uh, my beloved flip-flops and t-shirts to uh, dressing even nicer than I am right now. Uh, I know I am super nice looking right now. Um, And I showed up the next Sunday, like, in my Sunday Easter best. And you know what? Dressing the part did not fix things for me. That did not change anything. Um, Other things that young leaders might try to do is they might um, try to assert their leadership aggressively, 
right? Like when I was dismissed as like the kid who looked after the kid, like maybe I could have pushed back and said, I'm not the kid who looks after the kid. My title is the director of youth and family ministry. So I don't know what I would have done. Um, how many of you have ever seen like a younger person try to assert themselves? doesn't really win favor, right? Another thing that we can do is we can just uh, try to be super competitive. And maybe we're not even leading anymore. We're just now like treating the people who are supposed to lead as our competitors. And we take on their job and we try to do everything better and we burn ourselves out. Uh, we can allow pride and ego to get in the way. Uh, we can become blind to the reality of the situation because we're so focused on ourself. Uh, we totally neglect the importance of relationships. Uh, we ignore the experience of others. There's all kinds of pitfalls that a young leader can make. So I think it's fair <laughs> in light of this to recognize that what Paul's doing here is he's really looking out for Timothy. He's not demeaning Timothy here. He's saying, let no one despise you for your youth. He's empowering Timothy. There's something he can do, something he can do beyond dressing the part, uh, beyond asserting himself. But before we get there, because many in this room are older than me, um, and I apparently am still young at 38, um, what, what can we do who are maybe a little bit older than others? What can I do for um, the students in the youth group? What can the students in the youth group do for the children in our children's ministry? Well, if Timothy's not to let anybody despise him, maybe those of us who are older should check ourselves and our relationship with young people. Maybe we shouldn't dismiss them for their love of avocado toast. Maybe they don't even love avocado toast, and that's just a stereotype. Um, maybe we should introduce younger people than us as something beyond the kid who looks after our kids or uh, the kid who leads worship with us on Sundays. Maybe we should have high expectations for young people. My wife is a high school math teacher, and she talks all the time about the importance of setting high expectations in the classroom because the students will meet them. So when we dismiss younger generations, when we just write them off as being lazy millennials, when they're actually Gen Z, they don't have nothing to aspire to. They have nothing to rise to. These twins, this is Alex and Brett Harris. This is a photo from about 10 years ago. They were 19 at the time. They had just written a book. The book's called Do Hard Things, A Teenage Rebellion Against Low Expectations. And it, the book is just that. It's about inspiring other teenagers to do things that are hard, to do things that matter. Uh, these young men are Christians. Uh, they're, they come from kind of a homeschooling Christian dynasty. Um, and this book, this movement, was really popular. Uh, so at 19, this book became a bestseller in the Christian sphere of influence. The year prior, at 18, uh, they had the most popular blog for Christian teens. Christian teens were reading this all over the place. And their success in the blog led them to speaking at conferences, both nationally and internationally. That's 18 years old. They were invited to speak at these conferences. At 17, they served as grassroots directors for four statewide political campaigns. And at 16, they interned at the Alabama Supreme Court. 16 years old, interning at the Alabama Supreme Court. What can our young people do? What can the young people in our midst accomplish? And this isn't just a one-off thing. This isn't just something that happened in a fluke in 2012 or whenever. This, you guys know who this is? 
not Lewis and Clark, uh, close. This is George Washington, who overcame a uh, difficult childhood, born middle class, but his father died young, wasn't a very good student. But at 17, he became the official surveyor of Culpeper County in Virginia. And while this looks like it might be a job that a boy could do, he's working out in the frontier. This is the job of a man. Or this. This is kind of a fun story. This is uh, David Farragut. Uh, He (laughs) began a career at sea when he was 10 years old. So that's the little boy there in that picture, not the sea captain. He saw battle for the first time at age 11, an 11-year-old in battle. Can you imagine? And then at age 12, he was given command of a ship uh, that had been captured in battle. So this uh, illustration depicts him going toe-to-toe with the British captain of the ship that he had just defeated. Now, for whatever reason, it was customary in that time, because of uh, the British captain's rank, uh, he was allowed to keep his pistols. And so this sea captain, proud man of the British Navy, uh, did not take kindly to being bossed around by a 12-year-old kid, so he said that he was going to grab his pistols and take the ship back. So 12-year-old David stood his ground and said, if you try that, we're going to shoot you and throw you overboard. And the British sea captain went back under the deck and didn't challenge 12-year-old David. Pretty amazing to think of a 12-year-old having a showdown with a British sea captain. This is Angela Zhang. She graduated from Monta Vista High School about 10 years ago. Um, And before she even had graduated, she had invented a nanoparticle system that they thought, that they still think, might lead to curing cancer. Didn't even graduate high school, and she's making medical advances. Young people can do incredible things. They can do absolutely incredible things. But Paul, he's writing to Timothy, who is young, at 30-something. What's he to do? He's not to wield his authority and demand respect. He's not to throw a temper tantrum for being called a kid who looks after kids. He's not to threaten to throw people overboard. He's also not told to dress the part. He's told to do this, to set an example. But set the believer as an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. It's to be an example. And aren't these the areas where young people often get in trouble, right? Like in speech. Like how many of us have heard young people say something that maybe they shouldn't? I mean, how many of us have heard older people say that too? I have. Uh, How about in conduct, right? Like, you know, you have that teen impulsivity in love. How many disasters have happened because young people fell in love with the wrong people? Romeo and Juliet? In faith? In purity? These are all the things that we know are particularly important for young people to keep an eye on. And so Timothy is espoused to be an example. So what Paul's writing here is that authority in the Christian community is based on a person's character, not on their age or position. You don't get to be a pastor because you're 40 years old. You get to be a pastor because you have the character and the qualifications to be in that office. If you're lucky, we all get to be old. But character comes from intentional cultivating. We're all, hopefully, going to get old. But are we all developing the character 
that is necessary to be an example. So if you're young, I'll just turn to the young people I see in the room. Hey, Tegan. If you're young and you don't think you're being taken seriously, the message here is not to get angry, but to be an example. And I think in so many ways you are a good example of how to conduct yourself with grace and dignity. I had a student at Saratoga Federated, my previous church. Um, at 13 years old, her parents came to her, and they offered her uh, the chance to plan a family vacation. So I think her parents did this because they wanted to give her the opportunity to you know, gain some responsibility and to figure out, like, how do I book plane tickets and uh, some planning and logistics. That all makes sense, right? Like, it would be awesome for a 13-year-old to be able to plan a family vacation. And Caitlin didn't really have any limits, right? So she could plan whatever she wanted. So what, what would most 13-year-olds plan? Like a trip to Disneyland? That's what I would have planned. Maybe a trip to Hawaii? Yeah, sign me up. She decided she wanted to go to Uganda. She wanted to go to Uganda. Why? She had read a book uh, by a young woman who um, felt called to go to Uganda and ended up starting an orphanage, and she took care of all kinds of kids. And that book inspired Caitlin. And so she wanted to go and serve at an orphanage in Uganda. So that's what she did. She went to Uganda and she served in an orphanage. She brought her parents and her brother, who was younger than her. Uh, I think he was just 10 at the time. And they spent a couple of weeks in Uganda, loving on uh, babies and children, doing some construction projects. And the trip was so transformative for them that when they came home, they, they shared with the larger congregation what they had experienced because of a 13-year-old girl, what they had experienced. Two years later, they had inspired so many people that multiple families from uh, Saratoga Federated went to Uganda to serve. Multiple families. Two years later, more families went and served. This last year, which would have been an off year for that two-year rhythm, families just picked up and decided to go on their own. A 13-year-old girl created a mission movement at that church, created a mission relationship with people in Uganda, joining in the work. A 13-year-old girl led. And she led because she had a heart for service. She led because of her character, not because her parents gave her an opportunity, but because of who she was beyond that. Okay, let's keep going through our passage today of 1 Timothy. He continues, Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. So Timothy is called to be a pastor. This is the work of pastoring. One of the primary things that pastors to do is to, to teach the word, to be able to uh, expound upon it, to, to illuminate what is in God's word. And so Timothy is told to devote himself to that. Not all of us, though, are called to preach the word. All of us are called to know the word, to be in the word, to be inspired by the word, right? We're all called to be able to even defend it when called upon. Um, so Timothy, while he's here getting ready to be able to teach, those of us in this room, we have other giftings, and we need to be devoted ourselves to that. What's your ministry? What's God called you to? I love that we have three people who are going on mission um, in just a couple of weeks. You've been called to serve, to encourage, to build relationships, to influence the art community in London. That's fantastic. That's awesome. You're devoting yourselves to that, picking up your lives and moving across the country. There's opportunities to serve right here in our church. Our children's ministry is largely staffed by our teens and some parent volunteers. They're devoting themselves to that ministry right now. 
The worship team, they're devoting themselves to that ministry. The tech team, they're devoting themselves to that ministry. There's so many opportunities for us to devote ourselves to the ministry of God's word. And we don't just do that for ourselves. We don't just do that because it's a nice thing to do for the church. We do that for a reason. Then, Timothy is told, do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. So, Timothy doesn't just have a ministry, he has a gifting. Each of us have gifts and talents. Some of us are teaching, some of us is music, not me. I cannot sing, you don't want me to sing. Some of us are great with children. Some of us have the gift of generosity. We all have all kinds of gifts that we get to lean into for the good of all and for the glory of God. So Timothy is to be an example. It's to be an example of a faithful minister and a faithful steward of his gifting. Continuing on, it says, practice these things, immerse yourself in them, so that all may see your progress. So it's not just the ministry that's happening that we're supposed to do that is inspiring others. It's not just the way that we use our gifts, but it's the diligent using of our gifts that has an impact on others. So when I see Tegan volunteering in children's ministry week after week, as I see her grow as a teacher, as I see her grow as a leader, that act of progress is inspiring. That act of growth is an example for other believers that all of us should continue to develop and grow in our gifting. It says, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Your progress, your dedication to ministry is going to not lead to your salvation in the sense that you save yourself, right? That's a gift from God and God alone. But you are going to inspire others to join you, to commit themselves to the godliness, to the spread of the gospel. So if you think that maybe you're not the best person to be serving in children's ministry, if you think, oh, I could never teach as well as Tegan teaches or as well as Sadie teaches or as well as whoever, start. Start and serve and grow. And allow that growth to be a testimony of God's faithfulness in response to your faithfulness. Allow your life to be an example for others. Because we need each other. We need each other and we need that example of growth. Our ministry isn't just about our vertical relationship with God. It's also about our relationship with each other. We're called to be the family of faith. Paul writes that... um, The church is made up of many people, and that many people um, are like uh, pieces of a body. And so just because you're an eye doesn't mean you have any less value than a foot, right? We're all valuable. We all have a role to play. We need you. We need your example to inspire us. There's this thing with internet influencers where a lot of them do it alone right? Like it's them with like a tripod out in the middle of nowhere. How many of you have seen like the Instagram feed, uh, Influencers in the Wild? You guys seen this? Okay, so it's a mock Instagram feed where it's basically people who are like sneakily taking pictures of Instagram or like YouTube celebrities kind of doing like embarrassing things, but they're clearly like filming themselves. So there was recently like a, a video of a couple of women and they were like dancing, doing like a choreographed dance, like in the ocean. And there's all these people around them, but here they are like just 
like with their little selfie stick. Sometimes being a, an online uh, influencer is just about you and your, your little selfie stick or your tripod with the, the camera mounted on it. But to be a Christian influencer is about being in community. It's about rubbing shoulders with each other. One of the dangerous things about being a uh, virtual online influencer is that you can just assert yourself as whoever you want to be. Nobody actually knows you. I know a woman. um, She started a Facebook group um, where she's way out of her depth, um, offering all kinds of advice. And she has like a thousand people who are following her. And the woman's a, a plenty nice woman, but she's not an authority. And it's just amazing to see that she's amassed this giant crowd, and she kind of gets away with it because she's not known. Is that there's a danger there, but there's a safety that comes from doing that within the context of the church, of doing that in the context of a community, of doing that in a family, where people can come alongside you and say, maybe this isn't the best advice to give, or you're known. And when we do it, in that kind of context, when we're able to show ourselves as growing, where we don't have to present ourselves as some authority that we're not, we can inspire others. One of the things that I find so encouraging about this passage is that Timothy is a pastor who's being told to be an example, and that his example is important for his ministry. I think a lot of the times when we think of great speakers, we think of like the best sermon that we've ever heard uh, by them. Like sometimes a pastor might become famous for a sermon. So you have Jonathan Edwards, a Puritan pastor, who becomes famous for sinners in the hands of an angry God right? Like, it's still in print today. People talk about it. It's reenacted. It's a sermon that has had significant impact on generations of people. Uh, More recently, John Piper has a really famous sermon about seashells, and the poor guy can't go anywhere, and his children, too. Like, on social media, all the time, people are mentioning seashells to them, to the point where Piper's children have said, like, I can't hear the word seashell again, uh, because that just keeps coming up over and over again. And it would be a mistake to think that John Piper or Jonathan Edwards' greatest work were these two individual sermons that followed them for their whole lives. The greatest work of a Christian is your entire life. Is your entire life work. If you want to influence somebody, do the hard work day in and day out. Grow in faithfulness. Grow in purity. Grow in love. Grow in your knowledge of the truth. Grow in ministry. Allow people to know you and see you grow and evolve as a person striving for godliness. Because that's what's going to inspire people. A couple of days ago, I lost my friend Veronica. She passed away due to COVID pneumonia. And it's really easy uh, to think about just what a waste her, her early death was. And it's really easy to think about all the potential that she still had as a young person. But then, like, when I start thinking about the impact that she had on numerous people in kind of quiet ways, ways that maybe didn't get all the attention that we celebrate in our culture, I think of just what an inspiring woman she was. She led youth ministries. She mentored teens. She encouraged people. She loved on them well. She was a really great friend. She was an example of somebody who um, was faithful in suffering. In the years that she and I were particularly close, I saw her pray over and over and over again for God to change her circumstances, and God didn't. And there were opportunities she had to run from her circumstances and go her own way. But just in the quietness of prayer, she's like, no, God has me here for a reason. I'm not going to run. Like That has had such an impact on my life. 
Her faithfulness has had such an impact on my life, more so than any individual sermon ever did. Veronica never got to preach a sermon, but her life was a sermon. Timothy's called to preach sermons, but his life was a sermon. We don't have any of Timothy's writing. But look at the way he's continued to bless us by being who he was. We see glimpses of him in Acts and 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy and other places in the Bible. How blessed are we today, thousands of years later, by the life that this man lived? What's going to be the impact that your life can have? Will you pray with me? Father, when I think of the generational war, I think of of all that we're missing out on. Because we have so much to learn from each other. We need each other. We need to be rubbing shoulders with one another to see each other grow and progress in faith, to encourage each other to grow and progress in faith and ministry and life and service of you. And so, Lord, as I think about the importance of Timothy's example, I'm just reminded of the importance of my example, the importance of all of our examples. Lord, would you inspire us to be diligent in striving for a life of godliness, that you might be glorified and that all might come to know you as their Lord and Savior. Amen.